0: We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. We're going to start again uh, in James, uh, and we'll go to chapter 4 to begin. James chapter 4. We've talked about this epistle as having a lot of practical information for us, a lot of what is called practical wisdom or, or that. It has a lot to say, a lot to help us with in terms of both understanding and then learning how to conduct ourselves, how we should think about things and what we should do. And we're coming there again. I want to start uh, in the latter part of verse uh, of chapter 4, in verse number 13. Now, it says there, I'm just going to read for a little bit and then I'm going to make some comments. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow... We will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills we shall live and do this or that but now you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him it is sin now Those are some interesting words. I'm drawing our attention again to this notion that what James is saying is that there were those who had a mind to do a certain thing. They had a goal to accomplish. And they said, this is what we're going to do. And so they set about their plan. And James is saying, that's not the right approach. Don't just make a plan and say, this is what I'm going to do. He said, why? Well, because your life. What is it? A vapor? That's not a very pleasant thought to most of us. Pastors is praying about some of the ones who have difficulties in their health. But we know that life is short. Comparatively, and I'll, we do come to our end, we will come to the end of our sojourn. And so the thing that is more important than making a plan and trying to carry it out is what is the Lord's will for us to do? We have to be concerned about that all the time, being aware that we're always falling short of it. But nevertheless, pressing ahead and ask for the Lord's help so that we might be doing it better as we go along. And Pastor asked me what was I gonna speak about this morning, and whether it would be numbers as where we were yesterday, or if it would be James. And I smiled and he said, Oh, I got something I'm not supposed to know. And then I said both. I said both, and here I'm going to show you why I said both. In Numbers chapters uh, 13 and 14, that's where we were yesterday. And you find there an account of what was happening and what happened after God had used Moses to deliver the people out of their captivity in Egypt. We've talked about this many times, but we know that at the point of the deliverance from Egypt, the people were in a very, very difficult place. And so for them to be brought out, to be liberated from that captivity, was a major thing, a great big deal. They were liberated from such harsh and trying circumstances. But now they were in this wilderness and God had promised that he was going to give a land to them. God said, I am doing this, what he's going to do, his plan. Not like those who said, we're going to go and make a (laughs) profit. God says, I have a plan. This is what I am going to do. Some people say. They don't believe what we talk about when we say that God is, and that He is a creator, and that He did provide a way of salvation through His only begotten, the only begotten Son. Some people listen to all that and say, "I don't believe that. I don't believe it. I don't want anything to do with it." But what they say and think about it doesn't alter the reality. And so God is real. He is involved in our world. He was in the lives of the Israelites both while they were in, Israel, in uh, captivity in Egypt while they were in the wilderness and while they were on their way into their land which he promised and he's still involved but God has certain order to what he wants his people to do he has a program as it were and the people are in their best place when they are following along according to the program that God has outlined and when they run afoul of that they get themselves into deep problems and trouble it happens all the time, both in people, groups, and in individuals getting off track from what God has said is important. And so arrogance rises up, boasting. But who am I that I should boast? Who am I that I should be arrogant? Why should a vapor like me? be arrogant about anything. I shouldn't. Neither should you. But the human nature the way it is, a fallen nature. And so we see these things. Now, I've done a lot of talking. You said you're wondering what am I going to get to here? What am I going to get to what I'm talking about here? So, there were the 12 men who were selected to go and to view the land that God had promised. So that's what Moses said today. He selected one from each of the 12 tribes. And they had a duty, and they went, and they viewed the land. And then they came back with a report. I'm not going to go into the detail we went into yesterday, but they came back with a report. And at the top of the report, they said, this is a good land flowing with milk and honey. A good land. It means that what they saw would be a wonderful place in which to live and have all their needs cared for, because God had already made that to be a productive place. It had already shown itself to be uh, have everything necessary for a sustaining life and health and all that. That everything was there. But the people who went, out of the 12, they made an assessment. They didn't just evaluate and say, this is what we saw. But they made an assessment. Now, I didn't see in the text where their instructions were included, Included that they were to make an assessment. What kind of assessment did they make? they made an assessment as to whether or not they could actually go and take over in that land because it was an occupied land. But God said, I'm giving it to you. But then 10 of the 12 said, while we were there, we saw that it was a good land flowing with milk and honey, but we saw other things too we saw the people who lived there and we saw these different people groups the Canaanites and the Amorites and all these folks we saw these sons of Anak there and we looked at them and we considered ourselves to be as this is where it is in the text we considered ourselves to be as grasshoppers compared to them that's what they said in other words they said we can't do it We can't do that. It's too much for us. Those people will make, I use a different phrase, those people will make mincemeat of us. So we must not go in. But there were two men who said, we will go in. We should go in. Let's go. Why? Because he knew that the Lord was giving them the land. and His confidence and his faith, those two, Caleb and Joshua, their faith was in the Lord not in their own might but the ten were counting on their own inabilities to do what the Lord had said they should do they said I can't do it not only that but they persuaded the people so that there was an uprising and the people didn't go in and God dealt with them and brought judgment. And it was those leaders, they died right right away. And people 20 years old, older ended up having to spend 40 years in the wilderness because of this disobedience. But now here's what I want us to draw attention to. In James, it says that those ones who wanted to go and make a profit had made a plan for themselves. And said, this, they said this is what we are going to do. Now a part that we didn't review yesterday in chapter 14 of Numbers. I'm going to read from Numbers 14 to the end of the chapter there. So Moses it says here, told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. This is after the judgments have fallen there. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Now, when you read that, you know how we say, well, confession of sin is a good thing and we might think oh so now they're going to be on the right track because they said we were wrong the Lord has promised and we have sinned oh that's right they did sin Moses said now why do you transgress the command of the Lord for this will not succeed do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies for the Lord is not among you. See, in James, it says that the people should have said if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Here, they're saying, oh, the Lord's will was for us to go and we're going to go. But the problem is That was then. But what is now is the important thing. And so things had changed. And God has said, now, not now, those enemies that you were afraid of, they're going to decimate you. Just like you said they would do to the people if you all went in when I told you to. And so they said, no, we're going to go. For the Amalekites in verse number 43. And the Canaanites are there before you. And you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. I find this to be quite interesting. After they said, the Lord promised, we sin, we're going. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Arrogance, I think, is a good word to use there. Nevertheless, Neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites that dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as, uh, what is that, Horma. So, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills we have to be concerned about what his direction is what he wants and if we're not concerned about that then we need to get concerned about it now we're moving on in chapter, to chapter 5 in James and this is an interesting thing here because at the beginning of this chapter it says some interesting words here my teams again. Oh, okay. There we are. So he says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming soon upon you, are coming upon you. And so now he's addressing these ones he identifies as rich. You rich. You rich. Come now, you rich. So I ask the question, who is implicated in this phrase? Rich who is implicated in this phrase? All rich people? And I'm generalizing it beyond just their context. Or some rich people? Who is implicated? You know, you can find people who say different things on the re- in relation to what is written here, but here's what I'm going to suggest that one of the ways to think about the question is to consider the prior references in this little epistle and what follows that statement about you rich and then sort out who is implicated. In chapter 1, we see a reference to the rich in verses 10 and 11. And it says a couple of things here. It said they will pass away and that the rich man will fade away in their pursuits. So those people are temporary people. They're not going to last long. In 2 6, in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it says that there were rich who dishonored the poor, oppressed them, dragged them into court. So these were rich people who were misbehaving, they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So now, it says here, let's look at the list of things that it says here now, following, come now, you rich. Sometimes people will spend time debating whether or not he's addressing Christians or non-Christians. And some will say, well, we don't really see a reason to make a big issue out of that because Christian people can fall into pretty serious issues (laughs) just as the unsaved people do so but here's what he says he says your riches are corrupted now that's a present tense they are in a state of corrosion your garments are moth eaten your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you And will eat your flesh like fire. You have reaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by hand, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath, or the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. And so when I said, well, who is implicated by this little phrase, you rich? And think about what we said before and what we see here. So let's look at a little bit of this. Now, so the miseries are coming. That's a judgment that's coming as a result of what is going on. Riches are corrupted. You can think about some things that maybe if they store in grain and keep it too long, it's of no value after a time. And so what's the value in having done that? It doesn't serve a good purpose. It's a wasteful thing. Riches are corrupted. And so, you know, the idea of a perishable item. But then the garments are moth-eaten. Now, consider, why would the garments be moth-eaten? Well, we might think about it like this. Maybe they had so many garments that they didn't get to use them often. often. And so they're just stored. And if they're not being used, well, that gives them moths not just a field day, But I'm bound to feel (laughs) these to go at it, right? But what value is it? What help is it given to anybody to have that? And I know probably most of us have too much stuff (laughs) that other people could use, but uh, we haven't made the effort to get it out to where somebody might be able to use it. Anyway, we might want to consider that. So... So I think this includes the idea of hoarding as a problem, Uh, hoarding, hoarding things, just gathering it, collecting it, keeping it, not putting it to any use when there are many good uses to which these things could be put. And talk about silver and gold corroded. And the idea is that there is a diminishment in value. I know people argue to say, well, gold and silver, they don't rust or whatever and all that. Well, we're really not concerned about that part of it. We're just concerned with the idea that he said that there's a diminishment of value, and, and that's what's going on there. And so he said, That will witness against you. You have reaped up treasure in the last days. And then it talks about, so again, this whole you know, accumulating, accumulating, accumulating. To what end? But here's the one that really breaks the heart. And I mentioned this the last time about day laborers. There are people who are working in the fields that kept back their wages by fraud. How do you defraud the poor people who need just to maintain themselves their wages? And you defraud them so you can add more to your stockpile, build larger the stockpile that's already bigger than what you need. But this is the kind of thing they were doing. And the God said, no, that can't be, that can't be right. They live in pleasure and luxury. They're fat in their hearts. Then he said they condemn and murder the just. It may be indirect, it may be direct. But they took actions and behaviors that actually resulted in people dying. And that's a horrible thing. We talked about how James is coming out of a New Testament, uh, Old Testament context and all that. The people should have understood that God had a care and concern for the poor. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in the land within your gates. Each day, You should give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it. For he is poor and has set his heart on it. Lest, notice what it says here. He cry out against you to the Lord and it be a sin to you. That's what it says here in James. In verse 4, chapter 5, verse 4. Cry out and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord." That's not a good thing to do to withhold from those people who need after they have done the work and say, well, maybe I'll pay you later (laughs) or maybe I'll pay you half or maybe they'll trick them and just give them a portion and not be honest about what they're doing. But that, that can't be right. So, let me come back to the question then that I raised. So who is implicated in the phrase, you're rich? And I say here now, notice that there are specific things mentioned that apply to the rich whom James is addressing. We just went through a bunch of those specific things that are mentioned, so it helps us to sort out who is implicated in this. And these phrases are kind of summarized this way. Hoarding, fraud, excesses, indolence and debauchery. They lived in pleasure and luxury. Uh, they you know, cheated their laborers and all that. And all this hoarding. So all these kinds of things that the rich who were conducting their lives according to these principles, according to these ways of doing things, obviously they are implicated we know that we can gather that much from the text. So James is not making a negative assessment of all who possess wealth. That's not what he's doing. He's making a negative assessment of those who have sin, And he's making a negative assessment of them as sinners. Not as possessors of wealth, but as sinners. Because you see, we know that James, we just read in chapter 1 and verse 17, not just, but we previously read, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. So that God is able to give wealth to whomever he desires to have it. But he gives it as a good gift if they get it that way in an honest, right manner. None of these things here draw them in to be implicated because they possess that wealth. Now, obviously, they can misuse the wealth. They can do things with it they shouldn't. But to be a possessor of it in and of itself is, is not condemned there. In fact, many wealthy people have done many very good things with it, honorable things, helping people and helping causes that are good, and wealth can be used that way and so we don't need to be worried that if God has gifted us to say well I'm a sinner because God has gifted me like this (laughs) if it's a gift from God the issue is not that he gifted you the issue is now what shall I do so that he's honored by the gift he's gifted me with to use it in a way that will be pleasing to him that's what the issue is and so I, you know, I think about we studied Amos and we went through Amos here one time and Amos gives an illustration of kind of what these people were up to in this what James is talking about I'm just going to read there read through that quickly from chapter 6 in Amos and listen to what it says here he said woe well, to you who are at ease in Zion and though, and trust in Mount Samaria not at notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. Go over to kal and see, and from there go to Hamath, the great. Then go down to Gath, the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than yours? And then it says in verse 3, Woe to you who put far off the day of doom, who caused the seed of violence to come near, Who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flock and cows from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of string instruments and invent for themselves musical instruments like David, who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best of ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction. Of Joseph, indolence, and debauchery. And I was reading some commentary about the, the terms that are used here, and that's why I bring in the word debauchery. So it's almost like a laziness and a debauchery, all kinds of gross, sinful activities which uh, they shouldn't be engaged in. But that's what was going on, that was what the people were doing. And so this is what the problem is. And so the negative assessment then is, so who is implicated? Anybody who is doing any of these things that James is identifying here as the wrong things to do uh, with wealth. So there are a couple of things there. One is acquiring wealth in the wrong way, ill-gotten gains. Ill-gotten gains. Now, that's in our news cycle now. I'll leave it at that. But God is not pleased with that. And so we ought not to be involved in that no matter what form or fashion. Now, for most of us, being ordinary people like me, if we were to be involved in Pursuing ill-gotten gains, it wouldn't be on the levels of some of the things we see in the news, because we just don't have that kind of connection or circle. But we should be careful, though, to think, to say, okay, we have to be conscious of being honest in our dealings, not just, uh, you know, well, not just for ourselves, but so that other people who are dealing with us can see that we deal honestly. As we got to another verse here, I'm not going to get there today, but it, you know, when we say, we should be able to say yes or no without needing to try to add a, a confirmation to our word by swearing. <laughs> we, we shouldn't need to do all that kind of thing. We should just have our, our word to stand for what it says and mean what we say and that sort of thing. And so here we have it. So that's as far as I'm going to get today with this. Uh, I think I'm just going to break it off there. So when he says, come now, you are rich. Don't be worried if you're rich. Unless you're implicated. And then if you are, you know what the answer is. God has said it. True confession before God. Courses can be straightened. And we can get back on the path we should be on if we're on the wrong one. But we first have to recognize that we're not on the right path. And for that, we pray and ask the Lord to help us. And we are praying close. Our Father, we thank you that you have granted to us today to come, the opportunity to come again here uh, to this platform. And we just ask that you would use your word in us to the glory and praise of the Lord and to our benefit. We ask in the name of Christ, the Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you much for your kind attention.